Talkers. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 56. Speak and Destroy is a podcast about Metallica, and I am your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is Scott Mellinger of the band Zayo. Scott is a very cherished, very dear friend of mine. I think we first met in 1998, possibly 1999. Our two bands played a number of shows together. Scott has appeared on every Zayo record since he came into the band as one of the principal songwriters on the classic record Liberate TX and Ferris, on Self-Titled, Parade of Chaos, Funeral of God, The Fear is What Keeps Us Here, Awake, and The Well-Intentioned Virus, released in 2016. The band has been more prolific than ever in recent years, with uh, a number of EPs since 2015, Xenophobe, Pyrrhic Victory, The Yashira Split, and Decoding Transmissions from the Mobius Strip. Scott has written some of my favorite riffs of all time. His longtime collaborator, Zeo vocalist Dan Wyatt, is hands down my favorite lyricist to have ever emerged from the metalcore scene. More importantly than all of that, Scott is just a great dude. Always has been, always will be. We were long overdue to get him on Speak and Destroy or figure out some other way for us to be in regular contact again. I was the manager for the band Zeo from 2003 till I believe 2008 or 2009. Uh, at some point when they were no longer an active band that needed that kind of daily help. I know they still consider me part of the Zeo family. I consider them family as well. Always a supporter. If you don't know the band that I'm talking about, as soon as you're done listening to this, go and take a walk through their discography. Remember, the best thing you can do to support the podcast is to go into Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and leave a five-star rating and a nice little review. Follow Speaking Destroy on social media. Follow me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. And here is a very exciting surprise. Shortly after Scott and I were finished with this conversation, a lightning bolt of an idea hit me. So I decided to ride that lightning, and I asked Scott, hey, would you be into composing and recording a theme song for Speak and Destroy? He immediately said yes, and what you're about to hear, and we'll be hearing going forward on the show, is an original composition from Scott Mellinger of Zeo, a Speak and Destroy theme song. So here it is, my conversation with Scott. This is Speak and Destroy. way that I like to start these is I like to end and this is where I'm saying I know I'm going to learn some things about you I like to hear when and how and from whom you first fell in love with music okay and then at what point did that cross over from okay this is something I love into this is something I need to participate in I have to I have to be more than an audience member I have to like make music Okay. Okay. So, 
This is crazy. I'm probably just going to randomly say this is crazy every 10 minutes. (laughs) Why don't we talk to each other? I I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So go ahead. Who introduced me to music? Now that I have a frog in my throat for my water. So my grandfather did. My grandfather introduced me to music probably when I was like eight. And he played just old country like old johnny cash obviously uh waylon jennings willie nelson all that stuff and he played guitar so every time we would have any any kind of like family get together he would have his guitar there and he would play you know basic chords and just play along and like i don't even know if he was playing any songs but it sounded like things that he might have even made up i didn't know what he was doing so um but watching him do that interested me pretty fully uh, just in about music so and my parents were like sort of into stuff but it wasn't it wasn't like enough to like really like they weren't into it as much to kind of move me but yeah so my grandfather did and he uh wanted me to start playing guitar i actually wanted to play drums first because obviously you're a kid you want to hit stuff but um so they bought my parents bought me a student acoustic guitar and i absolutely hated it (laughs) i couldn't play it it hurt it was the dumbest thing it sounded terrible because i couldn't do anything with it it was miserable and i didn't want to play so like from like 10 and 11 I didn't want anything to do with the guitar. And then my cousin was kind of into like hair metal and that kind of stuff. But we would drive around. He had like a, I mean, this probably a Camaro. Cause I think that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> but so we would drive, drive, yeah, drive a Camaro. yeah, like a super nice one, probably the biggest piece of shit ever. But, um, and he, the first metal I've I ever heard, not that I fell in love with, but I ever heard was Peace Sells But Who's Buying. Whoa. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah. So like we drove around and he had Megadeth, Peace Sells But Who's Buying cassette tape, and he played it all the time. And people that's who, what, who've listened to this show a lot are probably rolling their eyes because they already know this. And you might already know this too. That is literally the band and record that was the first metal I got into <laughs> or, or heard. Yeah. Literally that exact record yeah. on the show a bunch of times. Cause it's like, I know it's a Metallica podcast, but Megadeth is actually the band that got me into metal. Yeah. And yeah, it was peace sells. My, my buddy, yeah. Alex Givens, may he rest in peace. I was into new wave and punk and stuff like that already, like super young. I had a cool older brother. Um, and then my buddy Alex Gibbons, who was a punk rocker, uh, and then my buddy Dave Rogers, who was like a hair metal guy who was into like Crocus and Poison and stuff like that. And I was aware of that stuff from MTV, but I, w- I wasn't interested in it. Mm-hmm. He bought Peace Cells on cassette by accident because he thought it was a hair metal record and then wow. put it in and was like, what is this insane, terrible garbage and gave it to me just to get rid of it. And that was <laughs> my gateway you know, it was, it was like the denim jacket just like appeared and oh, yeah. oh, routed yeah. and like, that was it. 
and then and then yeah my friend alex gibbons was like a leather jacket spikes you know crazy hair punk rocker mm-hmm. and a very similar thing happened in high school where he bought the revelation records new york city hardcore the way it is compilation also okay. on cassette at the mall mm-hmm. thinking that it was punk rock but wow. it was hardcore and he yes. put it on and was like what is this? terrible music yeah. And yeah. the exact same thing happened where he gave me the tape just to get rid of it. And then that's incredible. Same thing happened. Like that's how I discovered like, you know, that comp had like Gorilla Biscuits and Youth of Today and like like everyone sick of it all. Every one of those bands was on it. And it was Dude, just, that's like the perfect example of one man's trash is another man's treasure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna steal that. I, Do I, it. I, don't, I don't know why I've never thought of it that way. That's exactly exactly that, that, think about situations. It. Yeah. That's crazy. So yeah, he did. He had peace cells in his car. And I remember hearing the guitar and I'm like, what the hell? How's that? Yeah, how does that, that happen? Yeah. <laughs> what is that thing? Plus, we and, didn't know it at the time, but the first thrash metal we heard had jazz in it. Ooh, you're right. You know, like we didn't yeah, yeah. we didn't we didn't know Gar and Chris <laughs> were like these. No. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that was that. And then um from there, I guess, I mean kind of probably the normal thing like here's what's weird so megadeth peace cells totally my introduction to metal and was like totally intrigued but i did not fall in love until master of puppets till somebody played me that but i distinctly remember seeing ride the lightning tape in his car and i know i heard it but for some reason it didn't grab me like yeah. master puppets did um so yeah so and 100 percent, the thing that should not be is why i wanted to play music wow so yeah yes that's awesome yes because dude that that till to this day 41 and when i hear that crunch part come in it's i it always gives me goosebumps Oh, I just, it's, it's such a cool, and like, I don't know why, but for some reason, Kirk Hammett's solo in that one is like my favorite. It's simple, dumb, and like, like, but it's like, it's, it's not really like how bluesy everything else is. It's like his one, like, wacky, like crazy solo. It just doesn't, like, if you listen to all the other ones, all the other ones have like a really distinct, like bluesy thing mm-hmm. that one was just like whoa like alien yeah of. it's awesome too because it's you know and this comes up a lot in these conversations but time place and circumstance like who you were where you were at what you discovered when you discovered it it's always going to hold a special place that's going to be you know he kirk could write a solo that's tech that's quote unquote a hundred times better than that solo yep. tomorrow but you're not going to hear it the same way no as a 41 year old who's been a touring musician and so on and so forth as you did right in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I I think people, when you hear people debating music, sometimes oftentimes they're divorced from that concept. And it's like, if they could step outside themselves a little bit and understand like, Oh yeah, I remember having an argument once with somebody about the best Slayer record and he was insisting it was seasons in the abyss. Okay. And, uh, and I was like, dude, everyone knows it's rain and blood. Like, this <laughs> Why are we arguing? <laughs> and, uh, and then I, I finally realized as we were talking 
that Seasons was the first Slayer record he ever heard. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well then, then you, yeah, you have, it has that special sentimentality as it relates to the time, place, and circumstance where you discovered it. So, yeah. Dude, which, it's add to that a thing that should not be as a perfect song. So, yeah. Yeah, it really but, is. But, but yeah. for, even Slayer for me, South of Heaven's my favorite. Not because it's the best, it's the one I like that was heard first. The yeah. Current one and yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah. And I, and uh and you know what? If I'm gonna put on oh man, Slayer, that, that's hard because those the Rain of Blood and South of Heaven are almost inseparable to me because they're so <laughs> I know. They're both perfect. They're such they are they both, they both so have literally good. no like not one second of filler. <laughs> I know it's crazy. Not, not even not a note of music that you want to skip on either yep. of those. Yep. Um, it's Bill the Blood. That's my like deep cut favorite Slayer track. Yeah. That's the last oh, that, dude. Oh, Jeff Hanneman. Oh. It's a Jeff Hanneman top to bottom track. Unreal. And just that's unreal. Got that, that's got that eerie thing that should not be. Mm-hmm. Well, dude, those. He was so. Oh, Hanneman was so good at that weird, like solo chord thing yeah he, oh like i carrie king to me is almost like it it it's gonna sound just so bad but like it's almost like he's like i'm just gonna try to do a solo i don't think this is right yeah just, <laughs> which, which was like kind of part of the charm of slayer yeah solos. oh i loved it yeah yeah, yeah. but he's uh, like it, it, yeah because they were just like riff 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 and then it was almost like it was almost like someone told them they had to have solos so they were like yeah. okay Oh, I'll just do this. Yeah. <laughs> and then that just became their thing. You know, what's crazy is, you know, all, with all respect to Carrie King and to Gary Holt, who, you know, has oh, been yeah. on the podcast before and everything. Hanneman, like when you look at the Dream Slayer set lists and the set lists that they were playing right up through the end, and then you go through the songwriting credits, it's just like Hanneman, 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 Hanneman. It's yeah. like the Han- oh, all yeah. the Hanneman hits. And that's not to say he didn't have some clunkers in the 90s sure like anybody else but um and again it's yeah nothing against carrie but the, the jeff hanneman songs are like the slayer songs oh yeah without exception yep. you know, yep. like, no i when someone I'm, names a slayer song it, odds are it was it's, yeah so yeah it's incredible so yeah and it's funny we're talking about megadeth and carrie king because of course very early on when dave mustaine started megadeth didn't have a lead guitar player. Carrie King uh-huh. filled in for a few yes. shows. Yes, he did. And that See, you, I, you can find some of that stuff <laughs> on YouTube. It's pretty fun. I haven't actually. I have to do that. I knew, like, I because I've watched all anything I could on it, all that stuff. Yeah, but, um, yeah. I never actually tried to look for the Carrie King. Yeah, there's like one Megadeth. show that's out there, and then whenever they did that, uh, what was it called? Metal Alliance tour, the tour that was like the big four except Metallica. Not Clash of the Titans, but like the more recent, like 2010 or something. Um, Carrie came out and played Rattlehead with Megadeth at the LA show. It was pretty, you know, pretty cool full, full circle moment. So you realize then falling in love with Master of Puppets and getting into metal. At mm-hmm. what point then do you connect the dots of like, oh yeah, I, I kind of wanted to play guitar but was frustrated and became over it. Now I want to play guitar. Like what was the transition there? I think what it was, was so playing guitar in the way that my grandfather was trying to show me was a little bit more. It's really, it was a little harder to grasp as a kid one and as like a novice guitar player, because you actually are playing chords with way more going on. Mm. But 
you know, skip a little ahead and you listen to, now obviously it's not, you're not going to be able to play Metallica songs, but you can play power chords. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. Power, power, like power chords was such, it, it just, it, it was in, an easier start point. So once I could learn that, like I knew I could play and I wasn't able to play along with the riffs, but at least I was able to play with the bass notes of the right. guitar riffs. Right. I got way more interested. Um, so that's really what pushed me was going from like, okay, here's a G chord with like, you know, four finger uh, playing to like, here's a power chord with one finger and mm -hmm. two fingers. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and then once that happened, and this is probably why a lot of like dudes that get into punk, like start to want to play. Cause it's like, then it becomes, it opens the world up for you and you're like, Oh wait, I, maybe I can do this. Yeah. yeah. Like, so, and, and I remember writing is there and the energy and the magic, you can do a lot with a little. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so, so that, yeah, that, that was probably what helped get me more involved and interested in actually playing it. And then once I was able to get to a point where like I could play power chords, uh, I was like, well, I want to take lessons so I can learn this. And then that's when <laughs> like any dumb 13, 12 year old kid goes into lessons, just teach me Metallica riffs. <laughs> so, the guitar teacher's like, yeah, I haven't heard that one before. Yeah. You sure you want to like, yeah, all right. So I, I took lessons for a year and was able then to like play some of the stuff that I was listening to, you know, like God better. Were you getting like tab books and stuff like that? Then? Oh yeah. I actually, dude, I have my ride the lightning tab book in the other room. Rules <laughs> <laughs> From back then. Oh yeah. From back then. Oh, I 100%. That. I love yeah, I have that one. And dude, I lost, like I had, of course I had and justice for all master of puppets. Cause like, and justice for all, if you can figure that stuff out, great on you i couldn't so <laughs> you know that, that actually brings up something that i think about often for some reason uh when we were doing the zeo dvd which was mm -hmm. 15 years ago oh my god i because we were doing that in the summer of 2005 might have even been 2004 2005? that's insanity i don't know it was a long time ago uh but i remember marty uh when talking about meeting russ when they were kids and everything Marty saying that, that Russ had learned all of and justice for all start to finish with all of the solos. And I, and I've, I've always wondered about that claim because it sounds dubious. <laughs> what do you, what do you know about that? That bit of, is that, is that Mar is that Martin Lunn uh, exaggerating, mythologizing the history of Russ Cogdell or is that? <sighs> thing? No, I, th he, I think he laid it out pretty, pretty solidly yeah yeah i don't think that was mythology at all i think he did i think he laid it out pretty pretty incredible mm -hmm. that's pretty incredible because that's um, one thing about marty doesn't really exaggerate he kind of just it just it just man. sounds so intense when he's like <laughs> yeah he knew all of injustice for all with all the solos <laughs> yeah he <laughs> he like he was russ was he's yeah he's a i don't know man he's like a savant I guess. Yeah. But yeah. you, you ask him to play that now he's not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so you're learning and all of that. So then where does that then turn into bands? How do you go from kid taking guitar lessons, listening to Metallica at home to 
playing in bands playing in bands so i remember the first band i was in was like more very end of middle school and i just i just i remember a couple of the kids i was in the band with um this one dude named rick singo that i see here and there and then this other guy named ryan snyder we all we did was watch it was the year and the half in the life of metallica dvd because it was i don't think like cliff Amal was out and we watched that but it was like this was the time period for us yeah of course and there was a live video of harvester of sorrow and i we just watched that literally on like on repeat all the time <laughs> so and like all we did was dream about like what that would be like what that would be like to play like that and all that stuff and then i remember when like we we never really could find a drummer but we had like a kid that sort of like played along and he would just go boom, doom, boom. but like we were able to like kind of play harvester of sorrow <laughs> for our, like not all of it but a little bit of it and then i don't i guess it was just like i knew then that i was probably gonna have to do this all the time you know like because once even if it's like a the worst band and you're terrible and you like yeah can't and the thing back then like you really couldn't get a way to like hear yourself you know what i mean yeah it wasn't an easy way to record it so like you never really knew how bad it sounded but like maybe knew somebody who knew somebody that had a yeah and then even that somehow became like a day of setting up oh yeah (laughs) i remember like the first four track demo i ever made in a band it was it was like we may as well have been building a space shuttle to fly to Mars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know? Oh no. Even though, even though it was actually pretty simple, it seemed very intimidating and yeah. crazy. No, I know. So it's like, I don't know. It's just, we couldn't hear it and it fizzles out like everything, but I knew like, there's no way I, I can't, I have to do this for somehow, but I, like, I was, I was so driven to just play and then found new people. Um, and then those guys kind of opened me up. Like that was when like Danzig kind of came into my world. So I found Danzig. I'm familiar. I've heard of him. Yeah. 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 You know, uh, <laughs> I listened to Danzig. Too. <laughs> I'm the jerk to listen to Danzig before like misfits and Sam Hain. So it took like, no shame in that. Yeah. I Danzig one. I heard that. And that was kind of more my speed. I think if I would have heard the Misfits at a certain time period, I would have been mm-hmm. fine. But I was already in that metal mode, like not really in like Danzig's obviously more of that world. Yeah. Was, and and you know what? For me, it was um, it was Sam Hain, if I'm, if I'm not misremembering. Okay. I know that my, my punk rock friend Alex Gibbons was really into the Misfits and I mm-hmm. heard them from him and I appreciated them. And, and you know, and I'm not so old that they were still around they were they were gone by that point but relatively speaking by the time i heard them they were they had only been gone for a few years okay. um, but kind of like you were saying with with some of the metal stuff for the first time around when i first was exposed to the misfits i was kind of like yeah this is cool or whatever but i just thought mm-hmm. of it as like a, a scrappy kind of punk that it wasn't yeah and then somehow i got turned on to sam hain and i was like you i was already a metal dude yeah and that that brought together a lot of the goth dark romantic stuff that i liked before i found metal Mm -hmm. and then the metal stuff and the like evil eerie weird you know no pun intended eerie but the the weird (laughs) the artwork and the comic book 
lightness of it. Like so many things that I loved were like Perfect Storm with Sam Hain. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, when uh, I remember when Danzig One came out, and then it was, and I also at that point I already I liked the Cult, and like so it was like Danzig One when that came out, it was just like oh this is a perfect album. Yeah, this is it's everything still, I yes. want. Still, yep. I listened yep. to it literally yesterday. Yeah, it's so yeah. It, yeah. So that stuff, and I remember the first song I knew we played good. We did a cover of Twist of Cain. Rad. And that was the first song I was ever in in a band that I was like, wow, we actually sort of sound like them playing it. That's amazing. Solo aside, because that was still like early. <laughs> yeah, but still, I mean, that but is a song. Yeah. Yes. The song itself, I was like, I can tell we're playing this right. And it yeah. feels, you know, like it feels like a song. So um, actually, and what even made me feel better about it was somehow in our high school we did and this was like ninth grade so this was like the first year ninth grade goes to senior high it's super weird but so ninth grade there we had a couple friends that did like the morning sort of like announcements Mm -hmm. and every morning they would let people like usually it was like acoustic or something but there would be something that they'd play music right please tell we, me you played twist of cane 1000 percent, brother we actually <laughs> we did it we like tape recorded it <laughs> and gave it to them and they actually played like part of twist of cane in the morning announcements so i was like i could so hear awesome. it on the tape and i was like yep yeah we're playing that right that is awesome so yes yeah, my, it, it, it's, man, it's so, I mean, I knew obviously we had all these parallel experiences, but when uh, my friend Matt Reese, who's still one of my very good friends, and uh, he, he lives in Alaska now, but we've known each other since we were early, early teens in Indiana, and we lived a couple blocks away from each other. Anyway, okay. we were in like a lot of our first bands and stuff together, and he was actually the friend that first invited me to be in a band. And it was like, he played bass. He had this, um, I, I remember it as a pink BC Rich Warlock, but he says it was a BC Rich bitch. Okay, Regardless, that's awesome. He had this hilarious, awesome BC Rich. And then another friend of ours played guitar. And then a friend of theirs who I didn't really know played drums, but we were all poor. And the drummer kid lived in a nice enough house that we could practice there. But they already had like their band going, but they never had a singer. They okay. Were, three of them would get together and do covers and stuff. And I was like, I don't, I don't play an instrument. I asked my dad if I could get drums and he said, no. And I just, you know, never picked up an instrument then. And um, they were like, well, why don't you sing? And so I remember okay. they, they gave me a list of songs to learn. And I remember I was so nervous the day before and just like listening to these same songs over and over and, writing the lyrics in my spiral notebook and trying to imagine like what, you know, and at this point I didn't know any of them that well yet. And um, I just, I had no concept of like what that was going to be like. I was super excited to do it. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, but I remember I have this vivid memory of my brother coming in the room and um, I'm listening to Master of Puppets because one of the songs we did was Sanitarium. Okay. And I explained to my brother what was going on. And he's, he's five years older than me. And he, he is a bass player and a drummer and stuff. And he was already playing in bands at that point, different, totally different genres. But, you know, he came in and I told him what was happening. And he was like, hey, just so you know, um, when you go in there tomorrow, they're not going to sound like that. <laughs> 
And I was like, what do you mean? And I was so worried about how I wasn't going to sound like that. You yeah. Know? It didn't even occur to me. He was just like, yeah, they're like your little buddies from school are not going to sound like that. Yeah. And that gave me, that gave me the extra confidence that I needed. Cause it just didn't occur to me, you know, like, but it, it's amazing how unbelievable a statement that is. Yeah. Cause you don't like, and I, in my position, if I was in your, in that same position, I would have been one terrified. Yeah. Two, they are going to, they are going to sound like that. Yeah. Like in my brain, I would be I like, pictured, no. I pictured like I was just like, I was walking into a music video. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and they're going to be like, sing for us. You yeah. Know? And they're going to not make yeah, like, miss like a note. Yeah. 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 The, the drummer had a double bass kit, could not play a double bass. It was, just like, <laughs> it was a mess. But that same feeling that you had, like, yeah, we did Death Angel Board. We did Creeping Death and For Whom the Bell Tolls and am i evil and damage or, or uh sanitarium and uh probably some other stuff i'm forgetting but yeah a lot of metallica covers and i had that same feeling you did where being in that room with those dudes and shit's cranked up and it's yeah you know it, it, like you just know even though you know that's not the thing you know that you're in proximity of the thing that you need to be doing now you know where it's just like that's it oh, this is i i can't like I have to keep doing this. I'm not going to stop yeah. this now. Like once is not enough. Well, that's it. I think that, and if people don't ever experience that, that's why there's so much weirdness for like, even for like parents or whatever, like to the kid, yeah. like, you know, there it's so, it's so life affirming that like you, it, I, I don't, I wouldn't even want to exist <laughs> if I'm not right. able to do this. Yeah. So like, you're, I, I get it. You're going to tell me that there's no way this is going to be a career, but like, I don't even care about that. No, I just and, have and, to do and, it. And I didn't have any, especially at that point, I didn't have any, and also the, the genres of music that guys like us, women like us that, that we fell in love with. Yeah. It didn't, um, there, there wasn't, there weren't any prospects of it being anything anyway. I mean, especially yeah. as we got deeper into like, hardcore and underground stuff yes. and all that stuff that came later but even something like the first danzig record or a band like metallica at that time as big as it was in that scale it was still relative to popular culture it was nothing you know it was like there was no like it wasn't like oh i'm gonna become a rich and famous rock star by no. you know wearing a venom t-shirt like no no one thought that was gonna happen no way dude and think like even with like cliff or, or uh, cliff them all they were in a van and stuff yeah, I mean, yeah, totally. And, so and, and not, they looked like, and that was part of the appeal of Metallica. Much I, like, yeah, is they looked like their fans. I agree. You know, they looked yeah. like they looked like some guys from the audience got up on stage and started going for it. And that That's gave, it. like you were saying, with power chords and everything else, that gave you that same sense of participation and community and like this, you know, this could be you, like yeah. kind of vibe. Yep. No, for so sure. Important. And none of that was, yeah, watching Cliff and Wall videos of them playing the, you know. When people are, are thinking about becoming a rock star, the dream usually isn't playing a 300 cap club. No. You know, but for no. us at that time, like that, that's all that, that f felt like rock stardom. The first time I ever played somewhere that had a PA. You know, Dude, it like, is it, you know what? I think about that too. And I don't, you hear a bunch of like our peers and our like whole, like, I guess let's, since we're hardcore scene metalcore scene whatever like all that horrible stuff is but it is funny to think and i've never really heard it put 
in such a way that works so well. I, that was the dream. Like I never got into music and especially like once I started actually playing shows, cause you played to like, it was like DOI hardcore underground stuff. The dream was a hundred people there. That's great. Like yeah. I never yeah. had that in my whole life where I was like, Oh, you know, like if you're like a pop singer, like, Oh, I need to play in front of a million people and have them have million streams. Yeah. Like that was never our thing. Our thing was like, if I can get in a, on a floor and play to a hundred people, yeah. there's the dream. And we weren't thinking, and certainly no disrespect to people who thought this way, because it is all time, place and circumstance, but for sure. Us, we weren't thinking about like, Oh man, I, I really want somebody to ask for my autograph. Yeah, you know, I, I really, I really want to go somewhere and have people be like, "Ooh, it's that guy!" Like, how? That wasn't part of. It. I mean, it was no. part of it in the sense that, like, in the scene, you wanted people in the scene to think you were cool and respect well, dude, the band and stuff. Yeah. But, you, but it wasn't. It was. Yeah, it was just so different, though. Well, I remember when, like, like the first band that I ever like the creation stuff that actually toured that played with you before. <laughs> yeah. But I remember like, first, meeting, like real band as far yeah. as like, putting out records and yeah. So like meeting guys like you like i remember meeting monty from race trader and being like dude this guy like is he knows us like i just remember yeah it was that it was like your peers like you were stoked that they were like they even knew who you were yeah and i yeah. here's the i hate to say this it's gonna sound so dumb because it's not even like a thing that happens but i love that you brought up the autograph thing because even now to this day it weirds me out i don't know why people care yeah, yeah. <laughs> like i can't even deal feel with like yeah, I remember the first time that, that ever happened to me, and it's obviously yeah on such a smaller scale than than you, and yours is on such a smaller oh, scale. It's, so it's such a tiny that scale. Band. Yeah, but yeah, even yeah. on a small scale, like whenever that whenever that happens, yeah, it's weird, and it's not a humble brag. Like, oh, it's weird. I wish it would happen more. No, no, it, it, it yeah. is just weird because <laughs> you don't so weird. think of yourself as you wouldn't ask for your own autograph. No that way. Makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, like I sign stuff all day, and I'm like, this is so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. why would anybody want this thing? Like, yeah. who wants that? So, um, Metallica land. Yes. Um, Sorry, we're like totally pulled away from No, them. that's okay. <laughs> that's how these go. And it's why it's fun to do. Let's talk about how Metallica sort of stays in your personal mix, so to speak. Like, kind of running parallel with as you're getting into bands and then as that becomes punk rock and as that, you know, and then obviously eventually um, Zayo becoming a thing and all of that. Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, there were different points in different eras of hardcore and the metalcore scene where it was cool or not cool to like certain types of metal. And I feel like one of the great number of things that you and I have in common is that we never were ashamed of our like Hessian no way. kind of white trash, like, roots like we never mm -hmm. we never tried to play it off like we came from anything else and we and we were never dismissive of like of having loved those bands and it, and it just so happened that it came back around which was nice mm -hmm. i remember you know when burn it down toured with shadows fall and there were like metal dudes in that band they have like oh yeah air and they were playing solos and stuff like that and and we were like oh you mean we can just be ourselves? Because <laughs> like we're way more like these dudes than you know what we're kind of trying. I don't know. It. it, it I, I know I exactly like, what I, you I, mean, though. Yeah, I feel like yeah. we all like we never. We never tried to run away from that, which isn't to say that we didn't expand our horizons and love all sorts of different music and all of that sort of thing. But yeah, there was never there was never a moment where Metallica and Slayer 
was embarrassing to us or yeah wasn't cool so it was it was a nice turnaround when it became cool to like that stuff and certain mm-hmm. scenes but so how did that kind of continue to form like your foundation i i guess as a songwriter and because i can hear metallica in zeo records oh 100 you know? yeah 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 so, i mean obviously you know there's carcass and at the gates and you know especially right, there's, so much. there's a lot <laughs> like with anything you know but um yeah i feel like metallica is so foundational too well i think what what i i might maybe now like looking at it from being in it so long or just being a musician as long as both of us have i mean i look at it as like there was a specific way that Hetfield and 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 well, James and Lars would work together, and there was a way that they would do structure in songs that was really different than everything, you know. So, I think with somehow they were able to make songs work without repeating exactly same parts. Like even the choruses would have different little things in them. So like that kind of like came into me when I wrote. And then the way they did verses and choruses, there was always like, you know, you had your opening, you had maybe a verse or there's a different riff there. And then you would have sort of a pre-chorus and then a chorus. And then like the sickest bridge you've ever heard that you would think should just be the chorus. Yeah. And then they would do the chorus again. So and by the time they got to Injustice for All, there were like seven songs. <laughs> yeah. <one> song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like their whole style of how they formed a song. Um, and, and this is what's great because like both me and Russ were such huge fans. Like Russ, and I didn't even talk about that. I mean, when I met Russ in high school, the whole, the first thing we did as friends it was like he invited me over his parents had a drum set in the basement because russ was a drummer first yeah so he had a drum set in the basement and like a crate amp and like a shitty guitar and we played metallica songs the first time we met each other that is amazing like for real especially for you guys to now be in your 40s and yes playing guitar together yeah it's amazing because like we we would go in the basement and he could actually play drums so i would i played for whom the bell tools with him on drums and then sort of fell through like master of puppets because it was a little tougher (laughs) and then i would try i played drums for oh man i think this was even like this could have even been like black album time. Cause I think we, we may have played inner Sandman. So, cause that was 90, right? Was black album 90 or 91. 91. Okay. So yeah, that's, we were just, yeah, that's, yep. Yeah. We played inner Sandman and I played the drums cause it was super easy then for that song. But. <laughs> and, and, we're, and, we're, and we're talking about, uh, and justice for all having like 17 songs in one yes. song. And then, and then inner and then blood, yeah, is one riff, <laughs> one riff, the <laughs> for whole five song. Minutes. yeah. <laughs> so, and that dude, I think that's kind of why for me, because I fell in love with all the other stuff, the intricacies of like how they would write their songs. That like when the Black Album came out, you know, the hits on there, and I loved, I loved it when it came out, and I still love it. But I'm way more in love with like the weird later in the record songs, like Wolf and Man and like God that yeah. failed. That stuff, yeah. I, yeah, I love that stuff. It's like all the hits kind of like 
over time I just started to not be as interested in, but, but there's so much good stuff on that record even. So. You know what's interesting to me about that is, you know, the uh, album celebration, doing an album from start to finish thing is obviously super prevalent and, you know, oh, so yeah. many rock artists have done it. When Metallica did, you know, they did it the 20th anniversary of Master of Puppets. It was, you know, it was incredible, obviously. But when they did the Black Album from start to finish, they did it backwards, which, uh, which makes sense when you start to remember, like, oh, all those huge songs are at the beginning of the album. Yes. So, and do that was still it? in the live setting, if if they if they do the Black Album, and if they do all of the Black Album, but they start with the last track and go backwards, then the show still ends with Sabbath True and Inner Sandman. That's crazy. <laughs> you know, so, well, do, like, didn't uh, was it? I'm pretty sure I remember. Wasn't through the never the one the song they thought they were going to do first? Wasn't that the first single they wanted? Oh, I don't know. I, I don't remember what it, it was. I think it was that on might, a, that I, might be in the year and a half of life. Yeah, like he talked about how they like, they were getting through the never like that was the song they were going to release, and then <laughs> the whole world yeah, then, would be different, dude. Think about it, because if that song's yeah. released, like they just stay kind of in the metal yeah. world. I think. Yeah, you know, Enter Sandman totally opened them to everything. I remember being in high school and Enter Sandman coming on MTV and it was just like, there was a moment I, I vividly remember because it was my junior year in high school when the Black Album came out. Okay. And I remember that that was when jocks, football players, uh, when they started liking Metallica and when, and, and, and for the first time having that feeling as, as a kid of like, Hey, that's mine. You know, like, Oh, I, I you guys know. can't have this. This sucks. And you know, for my little group of pressure friends, that was also right around the time when coincidentally or not, they all started getting into like morbid angel and deicide and all those bands were coming out. And it's like, you can kind of see that it was like, Oh, okay. If jocks are into Metallica now, like what's, what's the next like worst crazy thing that they could possibly like <laughs> yeah, we got a bell uh, now yeah yeah and it was like and a couple of my other friends and i we, we started sort of steering more towards hardcore and i don't think it was conscious related in that sense but i yeah. but i do remember that weird sense of uh oh this was ours this was mine like mm -hmm. why can they have it and then very specifically Nevermind came out when i was oh i was just high yep. school I totally and remember when, yep. There was a kid who literally hadn't, we, we had been friends and like, you know, sleepovers at each other's houses and whatever, had not talked to me since seventh grade. Because seventh grade is when he became like football kid and I became like Hesher, skateboarder, whatever. Senior year in high school, this dude, Donnie, who hadn't talked to me since seventh grade, walks up to my locker and just says, hey man, uh, what does he say in that song? <laughs> And it's like, I knew who he was. I knew what song he meant. And I just, you know, rolled my eyes. And I was like, I don't know, man. I don't like Nirvana. And the thing is, <laughs> is, I did, is I did like Nirvana. Yeah, but you didn't want but to it deal with it. Like, yeah. Dude, 100. Like, I remember Nevermind coming out. And I remember the kids in my high school, all the football players, that made fun of me horribly. Right. right. Loving it. And, I, and dude, I remember, like, like, you're talking about with Metallica. Cause I like, I was a skater kid that wasn't really good at skating, but like I had the, like the super crazy, like shaved head, long hair look and all this, yeah, yeah. you know, dumb stuff. And I just, I remember going, do those guys know that like James Hetfield skateboards, <laughs> are they going to, how are they, 
they're calling me all these names dude like yeah. that dude skateboards yeah how are they going to compute this yeah it, yeah i mean yeah in middle school especially in the first year or two of high school like getting like legitimately picked on and oh yeah for wearing Super metallica yep. t-shirts and megadeth t-shirts and slayer t-shirts and you know and people being like oh kill your mother kill your cat you know like just like <laughs> making fun of you and and then yeah it was so weird to then like you know dudes in their trucks in indiana like blasting don't tread on me <laughs> yeah in the parking lot and you're just like what i know it's no. such a miserable thing and it's so weird now like do you live anywhere near like because i mean i know your kids are middle school age now right uh my daughter just finished sixth grade yeah okay and then, so and then, yeah my son's elementary school still elementary school. my daughter's okay, so. middle school yeah so that's sydney's like she's going into sixth grade next year so so crazy it's not I, yes i don't even know what to say anymore but <laughs> so <laughs> but like dude all the i really feel like because we're pretty close proximity to a lot of schools like the whole bullying things crazy but it's not like it was for us no in fact i think you know as much as it might be an overcorrection i think all the emphasis that they've put on it in recent years is positive yeah because i think it's um it, it yeah because it was <laughs> brutal it, oh yeah. yeah it was like life defining for so many of us you know like yep, yep. Dude, i mean i i could i have stories upon stories of you know i had i had a, i had i had a bully consistently through all of sixth grade who literally bullied me every day at school every day at the bus stop for that entire year until um and then there was another bully in seventh grade and it was the same thing it was just like there was a bully who just picked me as like i'm gonna pick on this kid every day yeah it's my lifestyle that's what i'm all about yep it would like chase me home from the bus stop and, and that kid actually that one only stopped when and it's so, and it was like so embarrassing. It almost makes it worse, right? But that one stopped when my dad went over to their apartment to talk to his dad. Wow! And had to do the like, tell your kid to stop picking on my kid kind of thing. And it was like, you know, and he brought me with him. And I'm like, oh, dude, and, and, and a lot of that—that's a lot of that's how you end up into metal and shit. Yeah, no, for real. Because <laughs> like, a lot of like, fuck you, stand up for yourself. Yes. You know, and you do. You feel like. That gives like you Eddie that Weinbauer, power. dude, in Trick or Treat. That was, <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> that would be so relatable because that was yeah pretty close to my experience. Yeah, it's it does. It gives you that power. It gives you that like feeling of like I can. I'm and honestly too, it's weird because even though it's people might have if they don't know what it is, like the self worth you get from being into that stuff, isn't it? It's crazy to me. Like especially yeah. like when you move into the hardcore scene and like how all of that stuff shifted and I'm, I'm totally glad you, glad you brought up like, yeah, I was never ashamed of loving Metallica. So that's good. But, but like even into that world, like there's just the self-worth that you get, like you yeah. didn't realize, you know, man, I wish like in the, in the community, even though it's small, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, I remember even feeling, even though I only had my like, you know, five to 10 friends or whatever, small group of friends in high school. I remember one, especially once I got into hardcore even though it wasn't, you know, it wasn't internet, it wasn't social media, but just through fanzines, letter writing, weekends in like neighboring cities, feeling connected to this yeah. other group of people. So it's like, you know, the guys in Endpoint were 90 minutes away in Louisville and mm -hmm. 
guys in Die Hard and Integrity were six hours away in Cleveland. But just knowing that I knew those people and that they knew me and that we were friends and we were into the same things in a weird way, like you don't feel so lonely. No, it, it's, yep. Yeah. It's even though you have these friends that you only see once every three months or something like, yeah, you just knew it was, you're part of something. And, and that, yep. that, yeah, there's a specialness to that that can't really be yeah. duplicated. Isn't it crazy? Like you were saying, Sydney's going into sixth grade. <laughs> One thing that crosses my mind t- from time to time is that like, so my daughter's 12 and, yeah. uh, I think about like, dude, when I was like, I showed her an R rated movie for the first time, like a year ago, like wow. <laughs> gremlins or something, you know, um, okay. I don't know if it's rated R. <laughs> I remember showing her gremlins and Beetlejuice after her brother. Had gone to bed. I think Beetlejuice is PG, but man, he says fucking in. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, but, but I bring that up because I'm sure you know, already know where I'm going with this. Seventh grade, dude, eighth grade. I had seen, Every Nightmare on Elm Street, every Friday the 13th, every Halloween, you know, Red Fangoria, you know, went over to friends' houses every weekend, rented a bunch of, the, I mean, I mean, down to like the D-level slasher movies. Like, I was yeah. fully into all that stuff. And it's so crazy to me to think about that. Um, oh, that's what it was. I did. I, I showed my daughter her first horror movie. We watched Child's Play. And oh, I picked wow. that because I know it's silly. And um, ah, I see. She, she laughed at the whole thing. Like it. In fact, I realized it was probably even scarier for us because it just it doesn't it doesn't hold up as scary in twenty twenty. Yeah. Like, dude, I think about that all the time. I know. <laughs> just like what is? Yeah, scary? but it's crazy because I still <laughs> like I, I don't. I can't even conceive of her seeing any of that stuff or being into yeah. it. Or you know, mm-hmm. and it's just I don't know. And I know she's not a little little kid. Mm-hmm. but i don't know it's hard it's hard to fully articulate yeah. what i'm trying to say but no, i but I, I think i know what you mean and it, it's also weird and i don't know why we do this because like obviously we're two you know males that like recognize that females are as strong if not stronger than males right so yeah. like but there's a, a weird part of me that's like ah, i don't want my daughter to see bad stuff yeah. Like, I, I don't know why that is. Yeah. So it's, it's like a daughter thing. That's just yeah. inescapable for better or yeah. worse. But like totally with the knowledge of like women are like 10 times good. better than we are. Yeah. <laughs> so much better. Like I can't even, by yeah, every I, metric. I can't even. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. It's crazy to think about that. And, 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 and also getting back to the point you were making about bullying and the difference now and then it's weird because I, I, on the one hand, I recognize how a lot of that stuff and just other things in childhood and, you know, divorced parents and a parent that mm-hmm. passed away and, you know, being from, um, you know, a lower income family and all that sort of stuff. Like, I know that stuff helps drive you into punk rock and metal and everything like that. But on the flip side, I almost hate saying that because I don't want to sell any of that stuff out because like yeah. you said, that stuff actually does provide a lot of self-worth and positivity yep. and creativity mm-hmm. and I mean, forged lifelong bonds. I mean, if you yeah. go on Facebook and you look at people you went to high school with that are maybe friends with the same four people they were friends with in high school and mm-hmm. have a million kids and are on their third marriage and you know, whatever it is, it's yeah. like, here's like you and I, we have this bond that was forged through this music and this subculture 
however many decades ago that like continues and it's like yeah. pick right back up like yeah it's <laughs> i would never as much as there are negative things that sort of lead someone into some of these more extreme subcultures i would never have any regrets about those subcultures because then they ended up enriching my life so much so now it's like as a parent it's like how to introduce the best aspects of that stuff without without uh wanting them to relate to it in the same way yeah. that we did for the same reasons if that makes sense like no it does and it's it's kind of part of that sucks because i think that there are things that build character from those horrible situations yes you don't want i mean if you can escape that and not have somebody because i think we would be the same as thinking that like i would never want people to have to go through the stuff that we did that hurt us but at the same time that hurt is what makes us who we are and like man it's it's really tough to think but yeah i don't i do think like if because where i went to high school it was very diverse in how there was like really really affluent people and then there were people that were you know lower not even maybe like lower middle class but like slow slight poverty level mm -hmm. and i mean i was definitely in the lower middle class maybe a little less than that and i think that I don't know. I look at those guys and you're right. Like there's, it's almost like those people keep looking for like what it is, what's going to be for them because like yeah. their whole life was kind of just on a plate <laughs> and I hate to say it like, but it's yes. like the silver platter thing works. Like you, if you're a, never really have to worry about anything and you know, because worrying about finances is probably one of the biggest worries of all of our lives. So like you grow up in that. I don't know. There's a character that's built. That's why I think too, like when like being in metal and being in all this kind of stuff, like there's just such an appreciation for all of it. You know, like I appreciate so much. I appreciate people that, that listen to the band that give us a chance. And, you know, there's just so much that because you grow up and, there were things that you were missing or whatever. Like, but that's like, I didn't have a bad childhood either. Like my parents were great. Right. You know? right. It's just, I think there's a lot of outside things that like get into you. And, um, but yeah, I feel like I wish there was a way to like build character for people from that without having them to have to actually experience. <laughs> yeah. 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 A little bit of suffering. <laughs> yeah. You need, I mean, it's yeah. Yeah. yeah and the, uh, the struggle and the, the growth and everything that comes through struggle and the and the mm -hmm. creativity and the art and everything that comes out of that but yeah, then, yeah, yeah by the same turn it's like for your kids you're like man i want my kids to just be in love with fun happy music yeah <laughs> but but no. you know but there is also a fun happy element it's like you know my little boy is a happy kid and he likes metallica and megadeth That's and awesome. he likes metallica and megadeth because i play it around him yep. you know but um but he likes it you know yeah. and, my, and my daughter you know, she likes uh, different stuff that has maybe some darkness to it. And it's mm -hmm. just like, I don't really know where that comes from necessarily. It just like yeah. comes. I remember showing them a couple of years ago, you know, and it's not, I'm not the kind of parent where, you know, we're not like circle pitting in the living room or anything, <laughs> but, but I did, I showed them a uh, flight 666, the Iron Maiden documentary. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. Okay. And, and it just kind of, you know, I didn't, and I wasn't like, you have to watch and pay yeah. close attention. It was like, I had it on and they were doing other stuff. But I, I chose that because, first of all, it's so melodic and there's such that communal, like, 
people singing along to the riffs and, but they go all around the world mm-hmm. in that. And you see these diverse cultures, you know, and, and different places, geographically, economically, religion, everything united in this love for this great fun, cool band. And then you also yeah. see the guys behind the scenes and you get to see camaraderie and what like a sort of that kind of family vibe is like between like adults Mm-hmm. And and then on top of that, I remember reading in a metal magazine once as a kid. I wish I knew who wrote it because as a writer, I would love to give them credit. But I remember reading uh, Iron Maiden is more likely to send you running to the library than running to the devil. So I've always loved that quote because it's like, oh, man. they're singing about the flight of Icarus and Alexander yeah. the Great and uh you know american indians versus colonials and world war ii fighter pilots and like you know like they're literally singing about like history and fantasy yeah. um so it has that too you know where like you're watching that documentary and they have like you know ancient egypt on stage and like my daughter is literally <laughs> learning about ancient egypt at yeah. the same time you know so yeah i mean the all of that um other side to heavy metal and this kind of extreme subculture, I think, is, is so important to emphasize as well. And the creativity that comes from that. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and that was one of the things that I appreciated before either one of us had had kids yet was uh, seeing some kind of monster and even just seeing the relationship that Hetfield had with his kids. And, mm-hmm. you, know, see, you, just, you know, getting to know those guys, even as parents and seeing that almost as a like, Cause you kind of, you, you know, bands like that, that you love so much, you start to sort of feel like you were growing up with the bands. Mm-hmm. And so seeing them a few steps ahead of you in life, I'm like kind of like, Oh, like you can, you can do this. You can balance. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. And like you said, for as much as you appreciate people that listen to your band and support your band and chase down colored vinyl and, you know, fly to fly to show, if they know that you're only playing a couple shows, they're going to trek out from, hours and hours away the i would add to that the the idea that they've pre-quarantine even that your audience has allowed you to do what you do and make what you make and 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 get fulfill that creative side uh while still being able to accommodate all the other things in your life yeah so it wasn't like a lot of bands where you got to a point where it was like i have to choose my life or the band Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it was like you, you made it through that transition and pushed through and have come out on the other side of like having your cake and eating it too. And how that's, you couldn't do that without the audience. No, about yeah. what you're making so much. That's totally true. I, and I don't, I don't know how, I mean, I think there's just a lot of expectation that we, as a, as the five guys kind of just got rid of. And I think that if you don't, focus so much on like well it has to be this big or it has to make this kind of money which we were lucky enough that we all were able to like still kind of work um and we made it like it's we've talked about this before it's like making the band not your financial driver allows it to be the creative thing you set it out to be because then you're not so worried all those decisions without compromise that's and and and, you know when people hear this kind of conversation they think oh compromise like you know singing a coca-cola commercial yeah (laughs) even that kind of compromise even of like oh we got 
one more week left in the studio because we got to leave for this big tour. Yep. Those kind of compromises, like yeah, yeah, uh, that's you know not part of the picture anymore. No, and that and I think a lot of like guys like us, you know, when that 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 stuff really does like wear you down because we you know you're not you're not ready for that kind of thing you know like i because like you said before like even beginning like i never thought I, I thought about touring all the time and then you get to a point where it's like you don't it's not financially viable to just do it all the time so what do you do and like then you have to make those weird decisions and those deci- decisions can like sort of hinder like your creativity or whatever and we've i think been able to just go look we're just we're this far in our career and this old and we're just happy people still listen it's so weird yeah and the people one of the things that's so great about zeo is that people are seeking out what you're doing because they they have respect and appreciation for it and the role it's played in their lives as as the audience to where you don't have to do a lot of the traditional things of clobbering them over the head with the band all the time, you know, yeah. cause you're not out there like, we gotta get more fans. We gotta turn more I know. Yeah. We gotta get in front of this audience. And you know, people like this band, what if those people liked our band? And oh, yep. you're just yep. like, we're doing what we're doing. People that love it, love it a ton. <laughs> and, and that's enough. And then it kind of yeah. organically can, you know, spread to one friend tells another friend and that kind of thing. But being out of that rate, that rat race of like, yeah constantly chasing something like you know this way you can you're chasing your muse instead of yes yeah. chasing your, your life and, and also yeah. i think something that was important you know again on a much smaller scale for me as a musician a long much longer time ago um and then for you as well when when zeo kind of hit that transitional point that a lot of bands get to there's it's so important to untangle your personal identity and your self-esteem and your self-worth from the band. Yeah. Like you just have to, you know, you, there has to be that, that morning where you can wake up and not be Scott from Zayo. Just yeah. Be Scott. And then Zayo is, is still there for you to, when you kind of recalibrate and get a sense of yourself to then figure out how on your own terms, it's going to come back into your life. And mm-hmm. what brings us back around to Metallica is yes. even at their level, the you know pinnacle of commercial success and and artistic freedom and owning their masters and you know go on down the list we've seen because they've been very open about it different members in the band um go through those those, some of the same processes yeah i mean some kind of monster was a whole thing where where you could see james hetfield for the first time since he was a teenager going through like who am i outside of this what yeah. am i you know um do i need this why do i need this how do i yeah and it, it's just such an important thing to to grapple with and go through and i think it ends up making the overall thing and the art of it that much better when you realize that you're coming back around to it full circle and that you are choosing to yeah put something into this as opposed to like i don't know what i'd do if i don't yeah you know, i don't know well, that's dude i remember and we we had discussions like this in our van all the time about like when St. Anger came out or or even uh, Death Magnetic, even though I think Death Magnetic stands up to older. Yeah, I think it's great. Yeah. But like I was so I, – I didn't like St. Anger 
but I loved the idea and the thought of St. Anger because yes. it was just these dudes doing whatever. Yeah. So yeah. like, I just, I, I love that they were able to do that, especially in the position they were at it. Like my, it, it's so weird to say this. I don't like that record but my respect for that band grew so much from that record. It's hard to explain, but that's, no, I, yeah. I'm completely, and I think you've said it better than anybody else has yet on the podcast. That's, that's the thing about that record and why it's important. Yeah. Um, and you know, I don't listen to it. Yep. <laughs> there yeah. are things about it that I appreciate, but I don't, you know, sure. not a big fan of it in that sense, but I'm so happy that it exists and was made. Yes. And, uh, yeah. and what it represents that period in their lives as people and as a band and as artists and and what it led to because without that bridge yeah we wouldn't have death magnetic we nope. wouldn't have hardwired which i think nope. is phenomenal yeah those um, i mean yep you know and, and and on and on and on of all the, all the you know things the band has has done i mean gosh almost 20 years i know insane anger which is crazy <laughs> i can't dude slow down yeah i'm still i'm like, just like why what is time happening <laughs> no i'm still thinking of the black album. <laughs> yeah we were just talking about it as new metallica a minute yeah ago. dude i know <laughs> <laughs> that that's crazy i mean there's yeah there were i mean i have a i have a very good friend now who i talk to a lot that uh he was born the year the black album came out oh my god! <laughs> and, and he's almost 30 you know wow i mean and that, that record's almost 30 I can't believe it. I can't. Yeah, dude. Um, so you hit upon something earlier about that creative partnership between James and Lars. And, and yes. obviously a lot gets said about that and they're the driving engines in a lot of different directions. And, and there is, like you said, something so unique about the way they structure songs and arrange them and, and all that sort of thing. For you having also been in one of these marriages with you know people that people that you choose as a as a as a teenager or a very young adult not necessarily knowing like man this is somebody i'm going to be like tethered to yes <laughs> yeah. the rest of my life mm -hmm. and and just hoping that those choices worked out but you know what do you see because like you know there's the songwriting relationship between you and dan dan being like the lyricist and storyteller of the band and you being like the, the riff guy and the arranger. Mm -hmm. And then obviously Russ is also a songwriter. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that, that at their best that I think for all the struggles we hear about within bands, I think the cool side of that, of inner band relationships is the opportunities to have different one-on-one -on -one relationships with each member. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like there's the yeah. band as the whole, and then there's like the creative team and then there's like the business team and, but I always felt like at its best, like, you know, Burn It Down being like the real band that I was in. Yes. I had a different relationship with each of the other three guys, you know, when it mm -hmm. was, I have memories of like spending time with just me and one of the other dudes and how our dynamic was just a little bit different than me and another one of the dudes or three of us together or all four of us together. And I don't know, that's something that, maybe it doesn't get talked about enough, but uh, I don't know. Sometimes I see, I, see, I see pictures of like Kirk and Newstead together or James and Newstead together or Rob and Lars, you know, having a moment on stage together. And it, and it just, it makes me uh, wistful, I guess, about 
that element of being in a band that people that aren't in bands don't ever really get to experience. Maybe people that are sports teams or small businesses together. Like, I mean, there's, I suppose there are other things in life where people experience something kind of similar, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm rambling, but no, no, no. I speak to that within Zayo. Like I'm, you know, I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. Your really, yeah, your friendship with, with Jeff Gretz is different than your friendship yeah. with Russ and your friendship with Russ is different than you and Dan. And it, I, I think that that's at its best. That's one of the benefits of getting to be in a band and getting to be with people in your life that so long. Yeah, no, I think, you know, definitely early on um, in like the, in the band, um, I think there was, man, it's, it's so weird because I can see like these weird different steps that you take in maturity level. So early on, there's a lot of like ego self kind of and to be honest, and you'll know this, I think a lot of everything that happens to you when you're in the band in those earlier years is really more from your own like insecurity. So, and I, and I also think part, a lot of it is your own creative ambition because as you're coalescing your identity as a human, you have all these different interests and all these ambitions and loves and hates. And, and if the band is your number one thing, you're trying to pour all of those into that band. Yeah. And sometimes greatness comes out of that of the push and pull of all these people Mm -hmm. but to an extent you're each of you sees the band a little bit differently and needs different things from it and yeah and that inevitably creates conflicts Mm -hmm. i'm I'm all for i wish i wish people had figured out sooner that side projects and solo albums and (laughs) those are good things yeah they're not bad (laughs) those things yeah Yeah, because then you can yeah, you can go do that. I yeah. will say this though, um, my whole time in, in Zayo, uh, when it came to writing, there's not much conflict there. Like, I feel like that was the one space where all of us include like with, especially too with Jesse, like even like my relationship with Jesse back in, in the days that, you know, seemed to be real more tor- turmoil or whatever when it came to writing, it was, dude, it was like an open slate, honestly. Like it, I don't remember us ever getting into any kind of, any kind of arguments or anything like that creatively. I think a lot of like, I love the story of like you guys writing five year winter together, which was like, yeah, you know, that's kind of how a lot of song and (laughs) such a cool story of it being written. And yeah. And that's camaraderie. That's chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. There's out of the picture, you know, I definitely feel like, you know, there was a lot of personal issues, but I think a lot of that personal issue was way, it it was farther away from like the creative side of the band. I think there were, there was a lot of openness and um, I mean, there were things that I did that he didn't like things that he did that I didn't like, but there was still like an openness to try that stuff. And then I, I think what ended up happening is like through those years, like, you know, the, my relationship with how we wrote with Jesse kind of morphed, a little bit and then when i would say that the change really happened for funeral of god even though jesse was actually part of some of that stuff um but then me and russ became a little more songwriter heavy um mm-hmm. and so russ was like there was a little bit of give and take there and i think there was still that same like kind of like ego driven like i have this idea this riff idea but even then like i i feel like 
we can put a lot of that stuff. We've always been able to put a lot of stuff aside if there was any kind of weird personal issue and the creative side of us really just worked. And I don't, I, I'm really happy because I, I don't know if like our personalities would work really well with like a really bad headbutting creative team. Yeah. So, so far, and even now, like with, um, with Jeff, I mean, we've had, I mean, every, like there's little spats and all that kind of stuff, but like overall, I got to tell you, it's like Dan will send, Dan will send me things and I'm never not blown away. So that's, that's one thing. Like everything that Dan has ever done in this band period, I've never been like, eh, maybe there was like one time. I think there was one time that it was a stupid, like it was just the way he phrased something. I think that was like the only thing that's ever yeah. happened. Truly, but, truly, this is the end. <laughs> maybe, but I don't even, I, can't I remember. remember that conversation. That's all. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you're in a band with an actual genius. So. Yeah. The dude will send me lyrics and I'm like, I, why are you, here you should be like on another plane of existence not playing to my dumb riffs like you need to be like in another world I, mean, he's still, but, I know i've said it before but it still holds true he's my favorite heavy music lyricist dude i and for, for me like getting to work with that dude's just not it's such a dream always such a dream and like oh Downey, you have no idea what's coming there's just so much <laughs> stuff <laughs> so but but yeah so with dan i've never had that like never there's always, he would just send me stuff and I've always been blown away. Um, and I think too, like with our relationship as the five of us now, like we haven't really had too much of a problem. Like they've been, all the guys have been really open with me. Like there's a lot of stuff that I'll just write and send off. And then there's a lot of stuff we work together on a lot. Um, everybody's been super cool. I think the vision for the band is a little more unified than it used to be. Yeah. But I, I still don't think even back then, I don't think that, I ever thought of it like in a bad way. Like I like that we're unified, but I also enjoyed that like Jesse would do something that I wouldn't have never thought to do. And then it ends up being kind of cool. Of course. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was, yeah. I, the whole time I've been in the band, the only weird turmoil that you could even really say amounted to anything was like personal relationship sort of stuff. But like I've, said before now with hindsight being the you know older understanding life a little more maturity levels i think there was a lot of things that the other guys in the band didn't actually see and i think jesse had a lot of things that he was dealing with that he would never talk to us about and i think that yeah. communication was probably the worst thing about that stuff and, and everyone's young yeah yeah you're like <laughs> growing up like yeah. learning how to do it like that's like my relationship with jesse now is so awesome like it is so he's such a good good dude like i we i try to talk to him at least once a week like i'll text and stuff and we like especially now with all the things that are happening in zaya world like we keep yeah. in contact with everybody i mean like yeah you know, and i've noticed Je you know jeff it's funny to say this because he's been in the band 15 years, <laughs> but uh, you know, him being the new guy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I love that role that he's taken of, of uh, almost an executive producer in terms of keeping all the moving. Parts. Yeah. Like, oh dude. He's like, he's very, he seems very aware of like legacy and keeping yep. X members in the, I don't know. It's very, very cool. He's like, he's like curating the Zayo thing in a way. It's, it's yeah, sort of. And it's yeah. Like everything's working really, really good. And I think a lot of that stems from like, being around so long and understanding like people's roles 
and expectation being where like reasonable. So yeah. So um, <laughs> Metallica <laughs> albums ranked. Yes. Ooh. <laughs> oh. Uh, okay. you, know, you know, it's funny in, in uh, you know, 50 some episodes of this podcast, it's only something I started doing recently. It was a fun no, it's actually play on the plane. It's sort of easy for me. Like, I mean, Master of Puppets is number one, always will be, period. Um, it probably goes Master of Puppets, Ride the Lightning, and Justice for All, Kill 'em All, Black Album. And then I get into the weeds when it comes to the other stuff, but I would probably put Death Magnetic right before the black album just tiny bit just because it's more my speed yeah. the load and reload stuff man like i never i i probably should give those records a little more of a listen because i do think they're way better than i gave them credit for i think i kind of like unfairly bowed out for those records and i really time, time place and circumstance yeah working in so the I, other direction yeah yeah I should probably give those more credit. Um, I know you like Alice in Chains and Soundgarden. Yes. Yeah. So like, why wouldn't That's I like records those. are? Yeah. yeah so I got to uh, give them. Yeah. A little more I, I, it comes up on the podcast a lot. So I'm going to, I'm going to try not to belabor this point, but um, I have a Spotify playlist, which I'll send you a link to. Please. It's called, it's called uh, last chance to load. And I, I, <laughs> I did the user illusion thing, you know, where you can take user illusion one and two and condense it into one really great guns and roses album. Oh yes, I did that with load and reload. So. Okay, that will probably. Save there are two songs that. from that era, one of them in particular, and again, it comes up all the time. So I'm going to try not to go on and on about it. But th- there's there's a song that is on load that is a top ten Metallica song for me. Okay, I definitely am open to that. I think, like I said, I listening here and there to it. I shouldn't just sit down and listen to those records, but like, I'll hear like, I'll like people be like, no, you got to hear this song and I'll listen to it. And I'm always like, man, it's still not, but I think I got to just stop and listen. And those records are really vibey. So so there is something to that start to finish, you know, Mm -hmm. but yeah, we all have our limits. I mean, I, I I have yet to make it through a full song from the, the Lou Reed album. And I have tried <laughs> oh. once in a while, once a year or so, I'll be like, all right, maybe now, maybe now. I know Jeff, I'm pretty sure Jeff has made it through all that stuff. I can but see Jeff making it through that. Yeah. I, I know, think I know somebody can. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Jeff <laughs> did make it through that record. <laughs> you know, Jeff's like the Brooklyn, like, I think he, yeah, he gets it. Like, yeah, he, probably yeah, he gets likes it. it. The thing is, is I was never like a Velvet Underground guy either. So, yeah, yeah. If I was a big Lou Reed fan, I'd probably would have been more open to it in the first place. But yeah, yeah. I'm not like Jeff, a hater. I just yeah, you just never, it's I, not, just like, I don't know. It just wasn't. It'll eventually maybe like hit you. Actually, maybe you need to get into like an age where you're like older and like you hear Lou Reed right. Like I don't think I'm mm. listening to Lou Reed correctly right now. That is an excellent point. Yes. You know, and there and there's stuff over the years that I wasn't. You know. Oh yeah. I didn't, I didn't hear Pink Floyd correctly, quote unquote, as a teenager. No. Later in life, I was like, yep. oh. That's what this is. Oh, yeah, dude, I know. Like, revelations like that for sure. Yeah. So I think Lou Reed, I might have to wait maybe another, like, 50. I'm going to give it 50. I'm going to give that record a chance. That's a good idea. <laughs> That's a good idea. I've never thought about it that way. Yeah, there's probably just a certain age. And, you know, if I had heard Nick Cave as a teenager, I don't think I would have been into it. Oh, I would have hated it. Here's another great point. I mean, I have a, I know it's problematic these days, but 
I have a Morrissey lyric tattoo. Mm-hmm. But when I heard, even as much as I love The Cure and Generation X and Adam and the Ants and a bunch of stuff, when I was first exposed to The Smiths, I was like, eh. And then Morrissey's solo stuff, I would kind of make fun of people that liked Morrissey. And um, this is, I'm talking like teenage years. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, he's, he, he's, pro, he's in my like top five artists of all time now. <laughs> you know, so well, yeah, there I, is a thing of like, sometimes you're just not in the right space to get yeah. something. And then when you get yeah. it, you're like, holy uh, shit, where have I been? Oh, dude, that's it. I mean, that's, I remember I got Smith's early but it was only because of somebody I looked up to like them. So I was able to like kind of get it from like, almost like a, you know how, like if you're going to do like shrooms or, or like not even shrooms, like ayahuasca and you need like your guide. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's kind of what it was for me <laughs> with the Smiths. It was my guide. The Smiths are like, yeah. it's okay though. You just get it out purge. Just what, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that happened for me. <laughs> that's perfect. Um, well, dude, I could, keep going for i know hours it's and hours um but uh i'm glad we made this happen i should get i should just put you on every one of my podcasts because then we're we can just talk i we should just do that because i know I every one of them yeah every <laughs> yeah. the other two i could talk to you about that stuff too <laughs> and, and i've kind of repositioned the pop curse one as uh musicians talking movies because i'm trying to really nail down what each thing is specifically okay and, and i think uh, i, yeah, and I, then I, I i'm i'm doing this thing with notfest.com called the deep dive which i think i'm going to change the name to the disc dive but i sit down with an artist and i go through their entire discography record by record and we just talk about each record and that and that's obviously you know the band they're known for but also you know we do creation records we do oh my gosh every every record you've made um and just you know sometimes it's a sentence like oh that record this there's memory um yeah so I, i did one with spencer from under oath Okay. It is uh, his pre-Under Oath band and the Under Oath records and then the Sleepwave band that he did. And, yep. then, uh, and then I did uh, my buddy Blasco, who oh, geez. Uh, you know, plays for Ozzy, but he was in the mm-hmm. Rob Zombie's band before that. But even further back, uh, he was in the band Cryptic Slaughter, like the old crossover thrash Whoa, band. dude. What? So we did, yeah, we did all, all three Cryptic Slaughter records. He was a teenager. Um, oh, my. And Metal Blade, you know. He's, he's, blown. he's uh, my mind's blown right now yeah and yeah so that was fun so yeah <laughs> all, the, all the cryptic slaughter stuff and then you know he was in a band on a major label that nobody remembers but they were like signed to michael alago and had this like you know big producer and all this money and you know recorded it uh jim henson studios and you know it's like there's just those cool um, stories where it's like a record that no one ever heard mm-hmm. kind of thing so yeah and then obviously the zombie stuff and the and, and wow, that's super cool. thing that he does so yeah so that's a new little concept too we could we could do one of those also dude that yeah I, every one of yours and two like the movie thing the pop curse being like more that just like, talking movies I, dude, i'm trying oh. to i'm trying to get the like one sentence pitch for each thing you know? i love it i love explain it explain what it is in a sentence i think it's more likely uh, yeah. someone will want to listen to it right <laughs> oh, you're right and as you always usually are <laughs> <laughs> oh dude you literally even just hearing your voice was just like like i know well that's what's it's so cool and like you said earlier i don't talk on the phone to anybody anymore (laughs) yeah dude there's like there there yeah and you don't even need to there are friends that like you don't have to do that with i can like not and it's so immediate like i don't even yeah 
Yeah, it's, it. it's just, yeah, it's crazy for us, for people listening to understand that Scott and I, well, at various points in our life, there were times where we talked on the phone every day for yes. long <laughs> periods. So yeah. this, this is long overdue. In fact, I think we talked about you being on this podcast before I had even started it. Yeah, it was. And we're, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And we're 50 some. You're going to be episode 50 something. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> and that's with long gaps where I like wasn't even doing the podcast. So. Oh, I, man. If I were cranking them out every week, I'd be, this would be episode 250. Yeah. Yeah. You've been doing these for a really long time. Yeah. It's been a minute now. 2016, Jeez. I think. 17. Wow. I, dude, yeah. I can't even deal with it anymore. They're fun. Times, times too fast. Well, uh, <laughs> where should people look for you to find, to keep up with what is going on with you and Zao and your other music that you do and, Oh yeah. There's so much other stuff, but whatever. But so, I mean, Instagram seems like everybody's like cool place to go now. Cause like Facebook's kind of worn out. It's welcome, I guess, but we still do all of our Facebook stuff. So yeah, the Zayo official Facebook, Zayo official Instagram. Um, and then we, I mean, we have Twitter, but like our Twitter's horrible cause we're not the type of dudes that are like every day saying something. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? You know what? I, I think Zayo is, is really been on top of in the last couple of years is uh, the band camp. I get the, Oh yeah. About- Dude. Yeah. That's, how, that's how I know what's going on with the band. Usually is the band. Yep. Yeah. The bank, we, yeah, we, that has been such a tool for us for sure. So yeah, Zayo Bandcamp, that stuff. And then like, I have a personal Instagram, but nobody who wants to see that stuff. <laughs> but, <laughs> so yeah, you can, yeah, I'm on there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do another band with dudes from the Juliana theory and punchline called pack so we do if you want to check pack band out we do that stuff on instagram um but yeah dude the, the zayo stuff's probably the easiest thing to keep up with so awesome dude well um i love you a ton uh, um you have no idea for me i um, will do that it's uh yeah dude we gotta yeah. we gotta do more of these yeah, we will that this is gonna have to be our excuse yeah this, this, is, is, the, this is the like you know middle-aged parents yeah and then, you know, throw some workaholicism in there. This is the yeah. only way it's going to happen. Yeah, you're, you're a busy man, and I'm happy to do these. <laughs> Hearing your voice is worth, it's all I need. Ever Dude, seriously, there was like, I didn't even think about that. And then as soon, the first second I heard your voice, I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, yeah, anyway. Awesome. I'm getting emo, bro. I'm getting emo on you. Oh, I love but, it. Uh, yeah, I love you tons, man. And um, thanks for, thanks for uh, reminding me we needed to do this. And glad we did it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do more.